It is that time of the year once again. By the way, it's called Christmas. There are some people who celebrate Christmas and there are some who do not celebrate Christmas. I do like so much what Charles Spurgeon said many years ago in his congregation over in England when he said whether you are for Christmas as a holiday or against it, just remember that at this time of the year, the entire world is faced with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, we thank him. I wanted to preach this morning along that line of some of the things we know about the Lord Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter number 1. And I want to read for your hearing and I want to read for your following. You should have your Bible with you today. And follow along in the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 15 and reading down through verse number 36. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me because he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? that we may give an answer to him that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me. Whose shoes latch it, I'm not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, 
for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, Jesus, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The coming Messiah would be known by many different names and titles. He would be Emmanuel. He would be the way, the truth, the life. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He would be the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, the Water of Life, and the Resurrection and the Life. He would be known as the Lord Jesus Christ. However, in our text, he is presented by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God. Some of the priests and the Levites, who were Pharisees, came to John the Baptist to question his identity. I think it's so interesting, they came to find out who John was and they left knowing who Jesus Christ is. When they questioned John, are you this, are you that, are you Elijah, are you one of the prophets? John said, I know not. I'm not one of those. And they were trying their best to find out who John was. And when John began to speak, he did not speak of himself to defend his identity he presented the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the attention shifted from the messenger to the master. In that moment, my dear friends, the scribes and the Pharisees were faced to someone else other than John the Baptist and greater than John the Baptist. And that was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. All John had to claim for himself was, I'm a voice. Did you notice that in the text as I read it? If you're not Elijah and you're not one of the prophets, who are you? He said, all I am is a voice. The writer John makes it clear that John the Baptist was not the light. He came to bear witness of the light. In that same first chapter of John, verse 8, those words are spoken almost identically. He was not that light. 
He was not the messenger, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Now, there are four witnesses of John the Baptist before us in this passage. He presents four different witnesses to these congregation of Pharisees who the Lord Jesus is. Testimony number one is found in verse number 15. Look at it. John bare witness of him and cried saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me because he was before me. He testifies to the pre-existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man that you're about to look on, this Messiah did not just come into existence today. He's always been in existence. Before I was, he was. And that came as a shock because you see, John the Baptist preceded in human birth the Lord Jesus Christ. But John was speaking of his eternal quality. He witnessed Christ's pre-existence. Second of all, he brought up the testimony of Christ's preeminence. Look at verse number 27. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose latchet I am not worthy to unloose. I am not even worthy to die and to tie the strings on his shoes. Speaking of Christ's preeminence, King of kings and Lord of lords. Testimony number three, he speaks of Christ's person. Who is this person I am about to baptize? In verse 34, and I saw and bear record. Notice he says, I'm giving a witness of this. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And finally, he gives testimony number four, which is a witness of Christ's propitiation. Now, that's a great big theological 50-cent word, but it means satisfaction. In verse number 36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. In this message this morning, out of these four testimonies, I want to treat testimony number four that deals with Christ as a lamb. He is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, what the lamb, the son of God, did on the cross of Calvary satisfied the justice of God Almighty toward hell-bound sinners. He is the propitiation for our sin. The text introduces the Lamb. In verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he repeats it almost word for word in verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That little word, behold, is not the word meaning to gaze upon, as you find it used in verse number 14. 
in verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld. That little word happens to mean we gazed upon, we studied him, and we looked at him. But this particular word here, behold, the Lamb of God, is a different variation of that word, and it means to stop, look, and listen. Not just observe him, not just to look at his form, but to stop, look, and listen, calling attention to that. Behold the Lamb of God. And he uses the term the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. John does not call him teacher. He does not call him healer or example. He calls him the Lamb of God. It is only as a lamb that he can take away our sins. And then it says that he will take away. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away our sin. The Old Testament lamb covered sin. The New Testament lamb takes it away. What a comparison. What a comparison. What does he take away? The sin of the world. This is not the world without distinction. This is the world without distinction, pardon me, but it is not the world without exception. If the term means every single human being in the world, then all of them would go to heaven because he's already taken their sins away, and you know that's not so. And that's not a true statement. Rather, it deals with Gentiles and Jews alike from all races, cultures, tongues, and colors. The writer John has already borne that out in verse number 7. Speaking of John the Baptist, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that notice all men through him might believe, and that word men is italicized, not meaning all literal men, but men of all races, men of all skin colors, men of all cultures, men of all languages, not just a certain group of people called Israel or the Jews, but people all over the world with different backgrounds will hear and be saved and have their sins taken away. That's how yours were taken away. Because God is no respecter of persons. My sermon outline is quite simple. I hope it's simple enough to get you out of here. And plenty of time for lunch. <clears throat> Don't hold me to it. The Lamb of God prophesied. Is number one. The Lamb of God typified is number two. The Lamb of God crucified is number three. And the Lamb of God glorified is number four. Let us look at the Lamb of God prophesied. Some of this prophecy, some of the Bible is dedicated to declaring Christ as the Lamb of God. In the third chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 15 and 21, Christ is speaking 
or rather, the Lord is speaking to the devil, to Satan, and this is what he had to say, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. Previously they were naked and yet had not realized their nakedness. This enmity would come from the seed of the woman, referring to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is not the woman who has the seed, it is the man who has the seed, and it is spoken of as the seed of the woman. Mary was the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by her seed, but by the seed of the Holy Spirit, proclaimed hundreds of years before Christ would be born in a Bethlehem manger scene. What kind of enmity would it be? God kills a lamb and clothes them to cover their sin. Thus the enmity would be a lamb. Enmity means opposition and hatred. God is going to raise up an opposing force against the devil and that opposing force will be none other than God incarnate the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is in that third chapter of Genesis two persons, two seeds, and two bruisings. Did you get them? I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Thy seed is the seed of Satan, her seed is the seed of the woman, which will be the Lord Jesus Christ. Two seeds, two persons, and two bruisings. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. When Christ was on the cross of Calvary, Satan bruised the heel of the Lord Jesus. Satan bruised the heel. Heal of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Christ bruised and crushed the head of the serpent. That's the Lamb of God being prophesied, even in the book of Genesis. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Please notice that. Behold the Lamb of God. This Lamb is designed to be slaughtered in order to give life to God's people. This is clearly set forth, as I said, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. This prophecy is declared. It's prophesied. Some of this prophecy is demonstrated. Take, for instance, in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 4. The Bible says in Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. He did not bring a goat 
Goats are not to be described as being a flock of anything. Goats are a herd. He brought one of the flock. The flock of what? The flock of sheep. He brought a lamb. Abel brought a lamb and offered it unto the Lord. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. You say, well, why didn't he have some respect for Cain's offering? Quite simple. Abel offered a slain lamb, and God honored it. Cain offered the works of his hands, and God rejected it. It points to the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in typology, being prophesied. And we'll get to the typology in a moment. In the 22nd chapter of Genesis, take a moment to turn to it. The 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. If you would please look at verses 7 and 8. And Isaac spake unto Abraham. Previously, God had told Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. And God is taking Isaac, his son, up unto the mount to offer him to the Lord. And and Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood... And where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Isn't that strange? Thousands of years before Christ was ever born, that's the lamb Abraham was talking about. In the latter two verses of verses 13 and 14, Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold a lamb a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That ram that was caught, and a ram is not a female sheep, a ram is a male sheep a male lamb which depicts the personality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never has been the daughter of God. He is the son of God. He is the lamb, the male lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. And the writer of the book of Genesis said, and Abraham saw that it was speaking of Christ. You go over to the New Testament, chapter 8 of John where the Pharisees are trying to start up an argument with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Christ was reminding those Pharisees of what had happened back in the book of Genesis before the incarnation of the Son of God. That's the prophecy. It's set forth in the Word of God. Christ is the Lamb of God. And then the Lamb of God typified. The Lamb typifies the first coming while the Lamb typifies the second coming. 
You read about the ravenous lamb, ram, and then you read about the, the, the ram over in the book of Revelation. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and we do not have the time to read that passage in its entirety, but it is so very important. Exodus chapter 12, this is the institution of the Passover. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning and months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers and a lamb for a house. And he goes on to define what kind of lamb has to be selected before God will accept it, study it carefully. Notice that all else had failed to liberate the Israelites. The frogs, the flies, the boils, the murrain, the hailstones. It is only the blood that delivers from Egypt. And notice a lamb must be chosen. And I have to go quickly through this because it is so beautifully detailed for us in the scripture. This lamb must be, verse 5, without blemish. There are no hand-me-downs that God accepts. God wants only one thing. He wants all of you. All of you. No reservations. God wants a lamb without blemish. It speaks of the sinlessness of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Verse 5 said it must be a male of the first year. The first, the, the female will not qualify. It has to be a lamb, a male lamb. God gave his only begotten son. He never gave a daughter, but gave his son. Verse 5 also said he must be separated Hebrews 7.26 said, Christ is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Verse 6 says that he would be slaughtered at night. That lamb would be slaughtered at night, which speaks of that global darkness that took place when Christ said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was as dark as night on Golgotha. Verse number 7 said the blood must be exposed. It's not enough just to kill the lamb, but it must be killed in a way that its blood will be made manifest. And verse number 10 says, eat all of it. It's not to be wasted. Everyone for whom Christ would die would be saved. If there are people in hell for whom he died, then he failed at Calvary. Are you listening to me? Jesus Christ did not come to die for everybody in the world. He came to die for his people whom the Father had given to him before the foundation of the world and his blood was not wasted at Calvary. It accomplished everything he came to accomplish when he came into this world to die. By the way, that's called particular redemption. He said, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. 
believe your Bible. I tell you what, it's the most enlightening book I've ever found in all of my life. So much for the Lamb being typified, the Lamb of God crucified. The Lamb was crucified. In Matthew 27, verse 35, and they crucified him. All of the terrible things that the wicked crowd did before he ever got to Calvary was enough within itself, but it wasn't what he came to do. He did not come to be punished. He came to die on the cross, and they crucified him. They nailed his hands. They nailed his feet to a Roman cross and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. He was crucified, and they gambled for his clothes as he died on the cross. What contempt. In Hebrews chapter number 13, verses 11 through 13, let me read that for you. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 13. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. That first part of the suffering has to do with the tabernacle. And there was a brazen altar on the outside of the tabernacle. That's where the lambs were sacrificed. No lamb was sacrificed inside the tabernacle. And when they got ready to, 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 to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, they did not do it in, in, on Main Street in Jerusalem. They did it outside the camp, outside the city. Christ is the Lamb of God crucified. Isaiah in his gospel, and it is a gospel, chapter 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And finally, the Lamb of God glorified. Crucified, resurrected at the Father's right hand, soon to come again in his glory. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. He has not yet done that. You said, did he not come 2,000 years ago? Was he not born in a Bethlehem manger? He most certainly was, but he did not come in glory. He came in shame. That's why he was born in an animal food trough, in a stable, because no one wanted to have anything to do with him except Mary and Joseph. When he shall come in his glory, all the holy angels will come with him. Then 
shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. You know, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse number 5, it speaks with such clarity about the glorification of the Son of God as a lamb. In verse number 5, notice carefully the lamb. In chapter number 4, verse number 5, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed with white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. But when you read from chapter 5, it also has something to say about the Lamb. Notice in verse number 6, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb... There it is. That's the last book in the Bible. Still talking about the lamb. There stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And you also find in that same reference, verse number 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice it is before the Lamb in verse number 8. Notice in verse number 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And finally, in verse number 13, And every creature which is in heaven, on earth, under the earth, such as in the sea that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. There's coming a day when our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He's called the Lamb being the light of heaven. Heaven will not lead or need an artificial lighting system like sun and moon and stars. The Lord himself will be the light thereof. That's the Lamb. And the Bible also says in Revelation 21, verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Here, old John the Baptist is preaching, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Prophesied in the Word of God. Typified by the Word of God. Crucified on a cross by wicked men. And one day will be glorified. Every eye shall see Him and every eye will know who He is and what He did. And at that name, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is not only Lamb, but He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, we're in the beginning of December, a month that has been set apart as the time toward the burial, resurrection rather, of Jesus Christ. How much time will we have for him? Are we going to be so busy shopping and entertaining that we don't even have time to come to church? I wonder how how dedicated we are in that area. That this is not everybody's birthday. It is his birthday. It is the birthday of a king. And that king is Jesus Christ. If Jesus was prophesied, and he was, if he was typified, and he was, if he was crucified, and he was, and if he is to be glorified, and he will, then he should be magnified. The Bible says in Philippians 1.20, Now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. If I live, Christ is to be glorified. If I die, Christ is to be glorified because he's still the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb. Dear church, let us give great attention to the lamb during this time of the year when you're going to see many substitutes come onto the scene and many variances of disturbances that cause you to look here and look there and look yonder. But may we not lose sight of what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ coming, paying the sin penalty of his people and satisfying the Father as the only way it could be done, and that is through the death of a lamb and through the resurrection of a lamb. Let's stand for prayer.